Now, welcome to Designing Hollywood podcast. Today is a very special day. I have one of the most incredible ladies in Hollywood and other parts. <laughs> She's an incredible designer and a lovely person, and her name is Ellen Mirajnik. Ellen. Hi, Marilyn. Hi. Where are you? I'm looking. Here I am. I'm, I am here on Rossmore in my apartment. <laughs> oh, you live in one of those wonderful apartments? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I love that. I, think I live in the Country Club Manor, if you will, and it is a beautiful building that was built in 1926. It almost reminds me of a grand old Hollywood hotel, frankly. It's it's just beautiful. And the apartment that I'm in actually overlooks the country club, Ooh. the Wilshire Country Club. So I pretend I live on Central Park West in New York <laughs> and have the park in front of me. So I'm very fortunate. That's great. Yeah. That's great. How long have you had I how long have you lived in the apartment? I've lived here 15 years. That's a nice chunk of time. Yeah, it's a it's a long time. I have no idea where the time went. I'd never lived this far east after li moving from New York. Um I usually lived around um I would say like Coldwater Canyon that area, then I moved to Century City. And then I needed an apartment because I sold an apartment and had before I went away on a film. And that film was Deja Vu with Tony Scott directing. And we were shooting in New Orleans when the hurricane came. Wow. But, yes. So I got this apartment just in the nick of time. Everything fit in. And I was to leave the next day. But then there was the hurricane and I didn't leave for Four months. Oh, God. And that was 15 years ago. I believe that was 15 years ago. Yeah. So I lived off Coldwater for a long time. I was in Lord. I've been to each canyon. <laughs> I've had mm -hmm. a house. <laughs> but um, it's different living out here. You know, from in the beginning, I just traveled so much. You know, now mm -hmm. my life has changed a lot. You're still on the go. You're going. Yeah, when I moved to California, I moved to California from New York. I had started my career, as we know it, um, in New York, and then moved to California when there was work was actually kind of drying up in New York. And I, my daughter was how old was she? She was getting ready to go to school. She was about, I think she had just turned five or six. So I thought I better look at California where I can possibly work and stay home, not travel. Because the last film I traveled on while living in New York was Black Rain. And oh, she was four yeah. and a half. And you were in Japan. It was, I was in Japan. That's and right. we were supposed to be in Japan a lot longer than we were. However, um, it was very difficult to shoot in Japan, and the producers felt that it would be, um, and Ridley, who is an amazing visualist, as we know, and director, he felt that we might be able to go back to the States 
and find locations and cheat Japan in California, which we did. So I realized that um, maybe I should start to look in California. At the end of that film, I realized I think I should start to look in California and think about it because I don't want to really travel when Lily goes to school. I can't keep taking her with me. And by that time, I had become a single mom. I get it. Wow. Yeah. That's, it, it, it was a, it, it was, there were a lot of decisions that had to be made pretty quickly, but everything fell into place the way it was supposed to. Pretty much. I happened the same way with me. It, it just kind of, it shows you what you have to do. Life starts, exactly. you know, the kids change everything. Everything. Kids, the journey, what your desires yeah. are, what your responsibilities are. And, you know, being a mom and having a responsibility to a, being a single mom and having a responsibility to a family and working and having a responsibility to the family that you're working with yeah. actually in my life actually became um, like one. Yeah, There was no separation and we were all part of each other's lives for many, many, many years, actually once moving really? to California because we we just all loved each other and it was really easy to work together and we could we could go from one film to another. And in the beginning, when I moved, I did a bunch of films um, simultaneously um, because there were a lot of films to be able to do that know, with yeah. at that time. Not so much anymore, but... It was a great challenge and great fun. And um, Lily was little, but she actually was never self-conscious about coming with us and being part of my working family as well as her friends and being part of the family. She's a great girl. She's an actress now. And uh, she didn't want to grow up to be a costume designer, but she certainly wanted to grow up to be a, an actress. And, you know, when they want to do that, you just can't stop them. Mm-hmm. They have to lead the way. And, you know, she's had success and she has great passion and great and uh, and great ambition. So I think that her journey will lead her to where she has to be as That's well. A beautiful thing you said about her. She must be, a, I, I'd love to meet her. She sounds like such an amazing girl. She was, I, I would love for you to meet her. She, you would just like, you know, it for us to see our kids and know, like we work in a business that where the, where did the time go? I know. Oh it's my been God. forever, yeah. but, how many years passed? I don't know how many years passed. I just think of Lily as six years old, and now I know how it's like 30 years practically, um, or 25, 28 years. And it just goes by in a wink. So you really have to really make every every minute count for yeah, certain. It's really, it's true. Every minute does count when you have that situ- those situations. And, you know, husbands or boyfriends, they don't fit into the scheme of things. When they, For me, after I, I got divorced for a while, I was still learning to be a mother and being a working mother. So I didn't really have the luxury of really, well, how does this work? Mm-hmm. I have to 
I don't know where the time goes. Then I did find some time, but at the in the beginning, it was really tough, really tough. You you were in the garment center first. You were designing yes what uh, clothing. Yes, when I got out of um, well, let's just put it this way: I went to the School of Visual Arts after I went to the High School of Music and Art. I art was always my passion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I only really wanted to paint. But my mom, may she rest in peace, always thought I'd better earn a living. So (laughs) she went to school. (laughs) Yeah, sobering influence. And she went to school behind my back and asked one of my art teachers, can you kind of convince her to think about something she might want to do that she can actually earn money from? (laughs) And um, they did do that, actually. And so from music and art, I went to the School of Visual Arts. Right. And at the School of Visual Arts at that time, uh, the I remember the interview and the fellow said to me, do you, do you like photography? And I said, yeah, I think it's really cool. He said, do you want to be in the photography department? I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> he said, did you ever shoot a picture? I said, no. He said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. But your portfolio is is sensational. And don't worry. There's nothing to worry about. So I went to visual arts. The photography department, the physical photography department was not ready when school began. So all we did was take photos and take photos and take photos until it was ready. And... Um, my photography teacher, who was just a lovely, lovely man, I think his name was Ralph Hattersley. He looked at my photos one day after coming out of the dark room and when they were done, and he said, Ellen, I think you better find something else to make a living with (laughs) because because your photos are all out of focus. So either get a tripod or go across the street and get a drink and and hold that camera straight on your forehead. So I did neither of that, but in I didn't do that and I chose to let leave school for a little while and just non-matriculate and draw and paint. Mm. But while yeah. I was still matriculating, I mean visual arts at that time had teachers that were extraordinary. I had class with Milton Glaser who just passed away. Um, may he rest in peace. I had class. I had a three-dimensional design class with Chuck Close at that time. I mean, what we experienced with being taught by really, really fine artists was, I mean, it's price, you know, it's priceless. But then after non-matriculating, I went to Parsons School of Design for fashion design because I thought, okay, maybe that's what I want to do. I knew that you were part of Mm -hmm. the fashion industry. Yeah, that's right. And but I got thrown out of that school (laughs) because I couldn't drape or I couldn't drape or make a pattern. All I knew how to do was drape. (laughs) No way that I could do it. So they said you have to leave. So I left. And um, very soon after, I got a job. And it became the beginning of, I would say it really became the beginning of who I was to become as um, a working professional and 
to this day. I worked for a company. It was at the time when junior sportswear, or it would be the equivalent would be trend. That would be our trend world mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. But junior sportswear at that time was really on the rise. Seventh um, Avenue and Couture Design was oh, getting a little quieter. And um, just sportswear, junior sportswear was really blossoming. Mm-hmm. And so you had like Willie Smith and Getty Miller and Norma Kamali and people of that of that nature and companies being born every day of the week, yeah. practically making clothes. And the company that I went to work for was a company that was quite um, adventurous. Mm. It was a company called Happy Legs. And in the beginning, it just made um, pants, girls' pants. And it was a company that was put together by two guys who had their goal was to take over the success of another company. And they did. And another gentleman came to them and said, well, he had just been as a principal player in a company, been ripped off like the other guys were not happy and this was the company they were trying to overtake and the three of them banded together and made they started at nothing and they went to 60 million dollars in revenue like in three years what was the company I mean, there was the name of the company was happy legs happy. oh it's still they, happy legs. Happy, okay yes it's still happy legs but happy legs had many different divisions and so when they hired me i was sent to them by someone in kind of in today's day and age, it would be the equivalent of um, think of the, the most sought after creative director of, Oh, let's say it would be like Anna winter. She's an editor, but Anna winter in the old days when she was in the creative directing area and not fully responsible for, all of the Vogues. Mm-hmm. And this gentleman sent me to my bosses and said, you should hire her. And they did. And they gave me a line and it was called uh, because the, the third fellow who came into the business was very, very theatrically oriented. They called it stage struck oh. <laughs> and they renamed me Ellen star. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was star S-T-A-R-R. Okay. And and I had to do capsule collections. So I became part of that group that did for, you know, like at the forefront of uh, junior sportswear and bringing it to market. And we worked so fast. Mm-hmm. So so fast. So where where did they actually manufacture the clothing? Well, when I first began with them, it was in the South, in New Jersey, in different places um, in the United States, and then they went overseas. They didn't go to China yet. People didn't go to China in those days yet. So I think that it was Mexico and. You know, I don't really remember, but I do know they went offshore eventually in my time there. But I don't really remember. It was not to China, though. Um, And so it became a hugely successful company. And I learned all about 
a designer's responsibility within a really um, fluid company, whereby you were very things fortunate. I was very fortunate, to be and the fellow very early on. Yeah. I mean, I think I was like twenty-one years old or something like that. And um, the fellow that taught me everything, his name is Herb Schneiderman, and he just shared everything, every possible thing. And, you know, where we were, it was just support, 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 support. And um, the pattern makers were all support, support, support. My first hands and, and, and assistants would always tell me to go away from the mannequins because I couldn't drape and I'd always make a mess of things. So they just said, just scratch some little drawing and we'll do it. And, and that's how that worked. And I, we found, you know, I found shortcuts and through the education that I had very quickly and had to learn it very quickly. Um, and I did that for about, seven or eight years, and then wandered into the film business. How did that, how did that transition take place from uh, the Garmin Center to film? Well, my husband at that time was working in film, um, and he had an opportunity to go and be like an associate producer, I think, on a film called The French Quarter in New Orleans. And what The French Quarter was, was a soft porn film. It was soft porn. I would not say it was, I don't know if it would be a hard R today. It might have been. There was nothing really that went on. Like, ladies were naked. It took place, like, in 1910 <laughs> in The French Quarter. And um, it starred Virginia Mayo and... Um, God, a bunch of someone my mother loved. Yeah, she time. came off of the Warner Brother contract, wow. and so she was the madam of the house. And I don't remember the other the other girls, to be honest with you. But they didn't have a costume designer, and they knew that I worked in clothing. Uh-huh. So they said, "Would you, would you do you want to be the costume designer?" And so I fell into it. I didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't studied costume design. I just studied movies and loved movies to death um, and went back to my boss in New York and said, I really want to do this, Herb. Please let me do this. I'll be away eight weeks. And he said, I don't really want you to do it. But if you put enough work in the workrooms for eight weeks, you could do it. Oh, how'd you do that? How'd and you pull that off? Fast. <laughs> I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And um, there was um, somebody, maybe it was my ex-husband, had introduced me to a great girl at Brooks Van Horn who helped me pulling clothes. And, you know, this movie was like all of like $450,000. So it was like asking for everything and getting fabric. And I found a seamstress in New Orleans to make things for me. And we pulled things. And I did the best I could. And I had to be the wardrobe person, which was not very attractive because I didn't sew. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. My hands were like a pin cushion. But (laughs) the best part of it was that um, 
the best part was when the director called for me one day and they were shoot he was shooting one of the girls and a guy in bed having a conversation and he was setting up a plot they were like the bad people i think and they were setting up a plot and she didn't have very attractive breasts And the director wanted, said, what am I going to do about the breasts? (laughs) And I said, well, I don't, I don't know. I how am I going to fix the breasts? I don't really know. Cover them. No, they can't be covered. So I thought for a minute and I said, all right, put her on her side, put, use, do this kind of body language, which I showed him. And so he shot the scene. And that's when I learned that you better really, really, really think on your feet. And that silliness stayed with me as like, I think, lesson one. Wow. And um, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to offer, offer what's being asked of you. And make sure you use your eyes to not just not just satisfy, you know, like make sure you use your, it's not your eyes. What make sure you use your aesthetic and your ability to kind of answer that question. And they could take it if they like it or they don't like it or what have you, but at least you were true to your own, your to, true so, to your that's own. That's true. Very true. And you so know, many- I think so. You know, don't like kowtow, just tell the mm-hmm. truth and they, So after that, I really, really loved the experience. And I went back to New York and said, Herb, I think this is what I want to do. And um, some of the people that I worked with on that film were very active in kind of very high-end commercials in New York, big and high-end commercials with a company that was very, like, popular. And um, they introduced me to a stylist and a designer who worked there often. So I helped for like two commercials and then they hired me as somebody to do it. And then I, um, I, and Herb said, I don't want you to leave until you make enough money. Like my mother would have said (laughs) to support yourself in your new, on your next path. Um, or as the path goes on. And so it all began from there and it was all very, you know, it was very, it it was very interesting because I was given a lot of responsibility very early on and I really didn't, Marilyn, know what I was really doing, but I guess I just used whatever judgment I had or common sense that I had and design ability to know what I could look at and see and then put together. And fortunately, my brain worked really quickly. That's incredible. And that's yeah. why I began. I totally relate to that because very similar to my life. Same, you know, got thrust into uh-huh. the, and I liked it. I wanted to get involved. I even uh, directed soft porn <laughs> oh hey you yes. did oh god you would have been a great director for the French <laughs> no this guy was terrible <laughs> I think that you would have really made a good movie you're too much 
I'm sure oh, you would have made a great Oh, boy, did I get event. it from our producer friends. What do you think really? you're doing? What are you doing? You're throwing a career Good away. Good for you, Marilyn. I think that's sensational. And I directed How long did well. you do that for? How long did I do it? Yeah. yeah. I had my own company after, um, and then wound up, of course, we were working for six years. And I would lie to everyone saying, I'm just not available until they stopped calling. You know, and that, <laughs> that's what kept happening because I was building right. a company. And I got all these uh, different opportunities to do other things, uh, you know, like in right. in, in uh, making films and so on. So and uh -huh. looking for material and uh, working with actors and directing and, it, you know, and it was the, doing soft porn, though, for those girls, I would try to protect them so much. I would uh -huh. want to give them some footage, you know, on themselves while they're talking in a situation so they could hopefully mm -hmm. get an agent or, or uh -huh. do something, you know, real. Right. Because this mm -hmm. was just a stopover for most of them and they needed to make some money. Uh, and right, right. The guys also, you know, they were wonderful, but they needed opportunities, all of them. And. Uh -huh. I felt like I had to. So you were like a godmother. I was. Godmother I swear director. I was. I mean, people came down and, you know, it was like, okay, guys, let's get ready. Get your socks on. It's <laughs> 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 like, okay. Did you shoot it all here? Okay. Yeah. 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 We, That's we had a really, studio. Really cool. I, I, I had, um, I was six years with, this partner who was a dear, dear friend of uh -huh. mine from New York, very uh -huh. comfortable guy, came out to mm -hmm. L.A. and just wanted to get involved. And, and he said, uh -huh. I'm ready to start a company. What about you? Uh -huh. And I said, well, I can't do that. I have all these commitments to all these producers, mm -hmm. and, you know. And um, he said, well, it's now or never for you with me. Right. And so I took. You know, I didn't tell anyone at first. I was trying to juggle and mm -hmm. and be quiet about it. But I really wanted the opportunity to have that company and look for material and work with, you know, in the art departments. And I loved it right. all. I loved it. But um, so, it, gave and so why bad it gave certain people in town a bad taste in their mouth about me because what why? she's doing you know, soft porn, or she's doing, do you know what she's doing? So they were very judgmental? Very, very. And I uh, didn't have an agent at the time. I never had an agent up until after that. Uh, yeah. So and did they, and were they judgmental, and were they guys or uh, or, or women? Both. Mostly, really? Mostly the guys, I have to say. Yeah, mostly. Do you yeah. think they were threatened? I think, I think they weren't used to anyone they can, can that, that they can connect with they, to do that. So there oh, I, I was on their level, and right. they were not used to treating people that way. They treated them right. beneath right. themselves because they had the money to make the projects happen. And it, right. was, a, it was quite a scene. And, and then I, I, I uh, started painting. I paint large. Uh -huh. I have huge uh -huh. canvases. I'm still painting. Right. Yeah. But that's what made me live, I swear to God. I had to, like, uh -huh. pull myself together and focus and 
to pull my life back together. I was losing control of my own life with this partner, uh-huh. this very wealthy guy from New York. Mm-hmm. Says, next subject. Oh, <laughs> she says next what? subject. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, what I wanted is what I wanted to really. Okay, next subject. I, I want to know how. I want to see these films. Just send me a list of the films. I want to see what you did. I think it's remarkable. And then let's go to the next subject. <laughs> let's, let's go. Okay. <laughs> Um, what I love, uh, about everything that you've done when you started doing films, you did that one in Rockaway. Oh, the Flamingo Kid. Right. Which I heard, yes. was that your first film? Um, no, it wasn't. I think the first film, I don't remember really. Oh, wait, wait. It was a film called Reckless and Reckless was a film starring, it was Aidan Quinn's first film. I I actually assisted. I assisted twice, and I assisted on Fame, the film. Then I did Fame, the pilot for the TV That's series by myself. I like yeah. yeah. Then I did Fame, the pilot for the TV series by myself. Then I, I assisted, and then I did a couple of TV movies in New York, like cop movies. Then I did Endless Love. And after that was Endless a sweet Love, film. Brooke Shields, yeah. that was um, after Calvin Klein. Yeah. And um, I did that. And then I did some more TV movies. And then I did Flamingo Kid. Um, and that oh, was. Yes. Then I did Flamingo Kid. And that was in, I think, 84. And, um, it was, I did it while I was pregnant, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great fun. I think it was Gary's second movie. Uh It was his second movie. And uh, Matt Dillon had done a bunch of things, but it was his second movie. And we shot in Atlantic Beach at a beach club. I would say mm, 80% of the film. So we started in the summer and wound up in the winter. Because it took a long time, right. and all those all those extras were quite were quite um, um, great troopers, as Gary's extras always are, and um, put up with the cold weather and bathing suits. Wow, great, yeah, great for a great many months. As did Richard Krenner. May he pass. He passed away. May he rest in peace. Playing cards and um, my family story. The, the beach club cards. Club. It, it was a great story. It was really, really great. It was fun to do. And then from the Flamingo Kid, then I had my daughter. And I think that I went back to work. I went back to work pretty soon. I mean, she was a few months old. She was born in April. And I think I went back to work in September just to do a New York portion of a film that was going to Mexico. And it was uh, Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. And Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, was to be like a big action trilogy, which it never became. But I met Joel Gray, who played a Japanese, um, the Japanese, what was it, sensei, or what would what would that be? The master. The master teacher and 
with that would never happen today, of course, but we did fabulous costumes and Joel was quite inspirational. Mm -hmm. And we looked and with him, what I learned very, very clearly was Ellen, you just have to be Ellen and there are no rules and you can't work outside of the box of there isn't such a thing just as you've always been brought up of what is supposed to be with quotes around it. No, it is how you see it and how you create it. And Joel, with Joel, there was great permission in creating this character that was fabulous. It was just a fabulous experience with him. And um, so the film really did have its, for me, had its merit. And I went away just for a teeny bit with him to Mexico City to start him off. And then I came back and actually did a bunch of little small things until I got to Fatal Attraction. How in did that come about? With Adrian Line? With Adrian Line, yes. Oh, I was working on small things all over between, you know, it kind of, I would say I was working on small things uh, in a very, short-term way, like a part-time way, because I had Lily and I didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly. So what I thought, well, I've been a costume designer already. I've done, I became a costume designer. I wasn't just an assistant looking to become a costume designer. I had designed my own films Mm -hmm. and I became, I, I can't say, bored, but I was a bit kind of, I didn't know what I really wanted. I was confused. And maybe it was because I gave birth and I knew I didn't want to stay home. And I knew I wanted to pursue my passions in my heart, if you will. But I didn't necessarily just want to work on a film for it to be visual. Mm -hmm. I needed something more. And Adrian, God bless him, made amazing films before Fatal Attraction. But I would say he came from the visual, the British visual school. So my friend, um, as it turned out, uh, my friend who was casting a film in the same building that the production office was in in New York, ran into the production manager one day and um, in the elevator. And he said, Marge, do you know any costume designers? And she said, yeah, I do. I know a few. Do you know any that are like in New York and are free? And she said, yeah, uh, how about Ellen Mirajnik? Now, I'd only done like one or two things of any note. Um, And he said, that's great. Send me her information. And they called to make an appointment to see Adrian. So cool. Because Adrian had gone through every designer in New York, and it wasn't enough. I could believe that. Well, his wife had a lot to say, too, didn't she? Well, not at that time. At that time of who you're you're picking. Mm. Because Stanley Jaffe and Cherry Lansing were producing the film. So at that time, Samantha was... She wasn't on the side at all. He, she always influenced every decision that he made. However, 
he just wasn't happy. And I think that he was thinking of wanting to bring in Milena, um, but they wouldn't let him bring Milena in. And so he went through every costume designer in New York. And then, and then he found me, then they asked if I would come and see him. And that was, a, I think in June, I was scheduled to go to, uh, Cal, come to California in July. In July, um, and they had canceled the meeting. So they canceled the meeting. I came to California in July till August. And actually, I think, went on a couple of interviews here. I was asked to do one or two projects. Not either one really was terribly stimulating, but it was a way to move to California. Mm-hmm. And um, as it turned out, my husband didn't want to move. Uh. So we went back to New York. And at the same time, when we were leaving, like it almost like actually like this time of of the year in California, in Los Angeles, I got a message one day saying, come see Adrian tomorrow at 11 o'clock. So I called back and I said, uh, I am not in New York. I'm in California. Oh, that wasn't very good. <laughs> and said, well, what is this for? And they said, it's a movie called Diversions, and it stars Michael Douglas and Glenn Close. And I really did think that that combination sounded interesting to me. So I thought, well, maybe that's a, that could be interesting. Anyway, once Adrian knew that I wasn't available, he wanted to talk to me. Because that's how, if you can't have it, then he wants it. Yeah. So I spoke to him for... Um, he called and I spoke to him for about an hour and we loved talking to one another and he sent me the script and I read it and it was a page turner. It was terrific. And we spoke again and spoke again after that. And I said, listen, if you have to hire somebody, hire somebody. Um, but he didn't. He said, come and see me the moment you come back, which was like three days from then. And I did. And I walked in the office and I said, well, what else are we going to talk about? We've talked about everything because I knew Marilyn, if I'd walked in and he did not like what his image of me was Mm -hmm. from the phone, I wouldn't have gotten the job. I definitely wouldn't have gotten the job. It would have been something that he's a very visual and very, um, a very, humanistic director Mm -hmm. and very, very humanistic guy who really, well, he just likes what he likes. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so that hit it off. I, and, and I loved working for him. I still, to this day, think he's one of my favorite directors. He just did a film from what I understand. Um, He didn't work for about, I think maybe 15 years Whoa. after unfaithful. That's crazy. We did unfaithful in 2001. It's more than 15 years. I think he just did a film recently. What was he doing um, in that time? Looking to make a film. Looking to make a film. Right. I remember his wife. Deciding if he didn't want to make a film. So, but Adrian was an amazing man to work with because he really, really had an amazing sensibility in terms of seeing things and I his visual perception of the human of human interaction was spectacular 
And we really got along like two peas in a pod. And we subsequently we've done, I think, three or four films together. And but that was he's first, crazy. the fatal attraction. That was the first. And with Stanley and um, Stanley and, and Sherry. And it became, you know, it was a very, very different time because nobody was really so famous. Yeah. And there was not there weren't movie stars as they became movie stars in the nineties. They were working actors that were known. Um, and Adrian was known. Everybody had basically an equal, I would say an equal reputation or an equal standing to a certain degree. And we got together and made a movie and all, and thing changed after that. You know, so it was very, very, very fun. And we became our own little family. And that was terrific. And and we shared everybody just got along terrifically challenging and um, fun to create. I was a designer, as you as you were also at the time that loved um I loved designing contemporary costume. I never had any ambition, really, to design period film or design fantasy mm-hmm. or design sci-fi. I thought that contemporary costume was the most important genre to be able to work in, simply because you were telling stories that created a history, and that was going to be a history that would look be looked at 20 years in the future mm-hmm. as history and period from the time you were creating. So the the challenge of best representing the challenge to best represent the period of time that we were working in was very very stimulating mm-hmm. to me as long as the story and the director was better than anything in the entire, you know, uh, that just stimulated and challenged me and said, really? And what if? And you could joke with and you could become one with the vision. Mm -hmm. It was, I just, I just loved it. I just absolutely. Personal type of films, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was a, it was a very, 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 I was just, I felt like, I felt like I died and went to heaven when I began that work. I really, really did from working with Adrian and everything. That's wonderful. And wow. But he also, but what he did is that he trusted, he trusted our team so, for Adrian anyway. Adrian Adrian doesn't trust too easily, but he trusted our team so that if he said we did Jacob's Ladders after Fatal Attraction and Jacob Ladder actually is one of my favorite films that on my whole resume and a film that's never talked about, actually. But I love that film. I, Personally, I, I love did. that film. I truly did. I love that film. And in that film, there were very, very frightening images and um they we explored what fright was and what that and what would just destabilize you and uh richard dean who's 
was brilliant makeup artist and myself would go off and do these studies and do di- we we hired um an actor he did makeup i created the concepts and we would do these studies because what adrian was terrified to do was commit to a visual effects company at that time mm, so he needed to see something that was that he could feel, that he could touch, that he could say, no, can you change that to this? Can you do this to that? And so on, which we could do and he could see just like that. The Brits, you know? they had something special about them. Most of them came yes, out of doing commercials. Yes, yes. Which taught them a great deal and gave them, they knew what they wanted. I think it was, you know, amazing to work with uh these directors that come out of that area. I loved it. I really, really did. I mean, I did have the great fortune of Adrian, Tony and Ridley. And I say great fortune because they were master artists and storytellers. Absolutely. And to be part of that, creating their visions was not only you had to be top of your game, mm-hmm. challenging, but so stimulating, so inspiring. You could bring so much to the table and have a conversation in terms of weaving the story and what visual elements yeah. would be, um, would add to the story. You know, it was just, it was a very different time. It, was. it just was a I mean, different Ridley Scott, uh, he changed. He's still working today. He, excuse me. He's still working. No, today. I know, making- but he was so amazing. I did GI Jane with him, uh-huh. and we changed the look of the armed forces. I mean, we had exactly. to have permission, and we went through the whole thing, but no one said no to him. No, no one said no and, to him, and it was amazing because we got approval. He made that happen, and how many? People are that talented that they could talk through it, show it, and do it. And that's what Ridley is so amazing. I was in awe of him, totally in awe of him. He he's amazing, amazing artist. It, it, it was it's it was wonderful to see the the difference between and experience the difference between Tony and Ridley because it was two entirely different I men. With Tony as well. Yes, exactly. Crazy, crazy <laughs> man. Rest in peace. But I loved him. Uh, I really did love him. I felt so I really bad. Did. I ran into him. I guess he had been really ill at that time. Yes. And he was all blown up and uh, I was so upset. And he had those twin boys. He met his wife on the film I did with him, which is so uh-huh. crazy. She was an it extra. Is. Lovely girl. Uh-huh. A bombshell, right. you know, beautiful. Right. And he, that was his wife, became his wife. Became his wife. But these guys are so special. They were really special. Very special. I don't care if they really were bad special. boys. They were incredible. But you know, bad was bad had a different meaning in those days. It it has actually it doesn't have any relevance to what um well it does have relevance. It's history. But they were bad boys, but they were brilliant bad exactly. boys. And exactly. their badness was not 
it was not disgusting. That oh, I don't no, remember it being disgusting. It was just that they wanted their way. They saw things a certain way. And whether it was... And everything that they saw was just... It, it, it added to what we now call the British School of Filmmaking. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's just... It's history that... I mean, I think that if Tony was still alive, he would still be making films yeah. without out of question. Adrian now has made a film. Hopefully, he'll make maybe another film. Something happened you know, with for, him, I fe- you know, because he was such a talent to disappear he's a like brilliant that. Man. He was a brilliant man. He had a difficult time adjusting to the new time. Mm. When as times changed and they changed changed very rapidly, as I remember it in the two thousands, um, and by the time, I think that even by the time like, I don't know, two thousand five, six, seven came along, it was beginning to change at a rapid pace. Yeah, with that rapid pace came an adjustment in how directors worked and what they were given, and what talent they needed to hire, etc. And yeah. things changed. They just changed. And, and Adrian always took a very specific amount of time to shoot. He cost a particular amount of money. Yeah. And he, he just didn't, he didn't fall into the, into the shift that easily. Yeah. And I think that was the only problem that there was. And which was a pity because it would have been just a bigger history that um, we would have been able to see. You but know, that was it, time. It's so interesting that your career is rooted in art and incredible talent. It, it, it's amazing uh, that you got that energy in yourself because you're very very talented and very energetic and when you talk and you like something i see you light up you know i see it it's not nice. i have I, a bad poker face i do have a poker <laughs> face unless i'm on the telephone and then i can then i could <laughs> but no one's alone. looking okay <laughs> but not but not face to face i mean you know what Listen, there was a long time in my career where it was not really stimulating to me. And I, I was what I would call a slave way, uh, a slave to the wage, Mm -hmm. uh, for a very long time. And, and also was very, um, pigeonholed. How did you get reinvigorated into design? Design? Because because you went, you're very talented and you're Thank really you. out there. And I, I love that. I respect that Thank because you. you make it work, you know, and I'm sure that you talk a good thing to get even to do it, you know, in, in uh, discussing how things would work in the film, in a scene for an actor, for mm-hmm. an actress, you know, you're very helpful. You need to be there for that. And in the films you've done, like, beginning with Fatal Attraction, mm-hmm. you're all over that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but we, we, I mean, it, history has kind of, has kind of um, had a footprint of that nature. But, you know, you, 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 when you're doing it and when you even come away from it early on, you're just glad that it really all works as one. You know, it's like a seamless 
project but that look what you're doing. You're doing incredible work. You're working uh, the Maleficent. I mean, come on. Oh, that. Well, That's you know what incredible. happened was. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened. What happened was is that I was really bored. You know, I mean, and for everybody out there, it, you're entitled to be really bored. Okay. It's, it's you really are entitled. You know, I I had to work. I was a working mom, and I had to work. And sometimes. You know, you'd think, oh, you're doing that amount of work and you'd have choices and so on. That doesn't always happen. Huh. Doesn't always happen. And sometimes you are faced with putting food on the table and taking care of your family exactly. and yeah. having to do what's in front of you and try to make the best out of it. So I would always like create a story in my head about what it was going to be. And subsequently, year after year, I'd get a little bit more disappointed and a little bit more disappointed. And then came a time in 2011, 11, I think it was 11 or 12, where Jeffrey Curland was was scheduled to do Behind the Candelabra. And he became not, he became unavailable because he was working on a film for Richard LeGravenez. And Richard LeGravenez had written Behind the Candelabra for Steven Soderbergh oh. and Michael Douglas. And I said to Michael, I would give my eye teeth to do that film. And so he mentioned something. It was one of the few times he would, he did this actually as, um, directly, um, in, in a very positive way. He said, Stephen, if you don't have anybody, I just want to recommend Ellen to you. That's lovely. Um, that was- it was very nice. But what happened was because Jeffrey wasn't available and he was asked to do the film like five years before wow. when they were going to make it. But for one reason or another, Michael had gotten sick. Matt wasn't available, etc. They It got to this particular point in time. And um, they looked at a couple of designers that Stephen had worked for, with already. And Greg Jacobs, God bless him, a genius producer, said, said to Jeffrey, Jeff, what do you think? And Jeff very generously said, I think that you should hire Ellen because she's been with Michael for years and you need that relationship to be able to be comfortable enough to bring Liberace to life. I love this story. I love this. And yeah. so they hired me. They hired me without even meeting Steven. It's okay. <laughs> that was crazy to me. But I, like a good designer, made a book. And he was shooting sideways in New York, went to New York for, for something and went to see him. We had a meeting for, I would say, three minutes. <laughs> I hear and, he's, uh, he's very efficient he's the best. that way. I love Steve. Now, Steve. Steven has become my absolute favorite. I would go to the ends of the earth for him. Pandemic or no pandemic. Right. That's God's truth. Um, and I met Howard Cummings, who was the production designer. Where We spent more than three minutes together. And I was thrilled to be able to do it. And in, Howard and I made a presentation for Steven very early on when we began and he went from sideways to behind the candelabra. Well, you taught 
Soderbergh how things should look. You brought something, another I dimension. Teach, I, I didn't teach Stephen anything. I, I contribute to Stephen's project. Okay, you Stephen has taught me quite a bit, I have to say. That's very kind of you to say, Marilyn, but I would beg to differ because he gives what Stephen does is that he gives you the, the biggest canvas to be able to do the work that he has hired you to do because he trusts. And that family that Stephen has put together is sensational. I mean, it is, it, it's not even, there's no language. Mm -hmm. You don't talk to Stephen, Stephen, you have a meeting with Stephen. It lasts five minutes. Maybe it asks, maybe it'll last longer if it, it, it requires more to, you know, more yeah. conversation, but there's very little conversation because once you get in that rhythm and that headspace, mm-hmm. you are one with his or hope you're one with his yes. and, and you bring whatever you bring to the table, you serve it up and then he shoots what he wants to shoot. It's, I mean, there's a, there's a, I'll give you a, for example, I just fell in love with him after behind the candelabra. I just never wanted to work with anybody else. And then fortunately I was stuck on a job in Atlanta and fortunately Greg Jacobs called and said, we're going to do this thing called the Nick. Do you want to do it? Well, it was like, where do I go first? I I felt terrible about that show. I thought that show should go on and on. We all did. We all loved working on it. I loved we did it. Love it. Yeah. We loved working on it. And the and the truth is is that we ran into New York to to do this. Um and I had two wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um associates with me, Patrick Wiley and John Glazer. And our we put together great research. We did a lot of research. We put together great research. It was very beautiful and visual. It all Howard and I had conceived something and how Howard and I work is that Howard would show me a painting. I would then go do something. He would then show me a floor pl- uh, pattern. I would then take off from, we would just That's be so nice to have somebody to bounce off of. And while you're creating something that will yeah. be real, that we'll be able to see when you're, you know, I, that's very special. Yes, it's a very special relationship, and it is very a a relationship that's very, very hand in hand, and very, very great, uh, great artistic uh, relationships. I mean, these people. That's incredible. I. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a gift. It's a gift. But what we did, so I then showed Stephen all of this stuff, and he was happy. I thought, (laughs) and then we went back to work, and. Clive Owen came for a first fitting. Now, what we found was that the doctors always wore white shoes, Hmm. even in 1898 and 1899. And they were made by Stacey Adams. Oh, wow. Style. And they wore low cuts or high cuts, boots or low cut shoes. And I had shown Stephen that as a reference, a picture of it as a reference, because I thought, Okay, 
John Thackeray, Clive Owen's character, is he's an opium addict. He is he look what he does. He works and he goes and gets high, gets high all the time. His addiction is massive. The writing he on shoots, that uh, on that show is amazing, amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Tell, so tell we. We went through where would he shoot up? Where would he shoot up? He'd shoot up here, there. Every part of his body was, you know, being shot up. But if he kept his shoes on and then took his foot out with no socks, he could get in and out of his his surgical shoes very quickly. So he'd never change his shoes. That's a good okay. thing. Yeah. So I tell Stephen this story. He's looking at the picture of the shoes. He doesn't say anything. We go and we fit uh, Clive Owen. And Clive, it's a collage. And I guess how we work really is kind of very much in a collage manner. A lot of people work this way as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's great to, you know, kind of put things and discover things as you go along and watch the actor discover and so on. And um, we start to collage him up. And he's looking at himself in the mirror and he goes, uh huh. He said, mm, can I be David Bowie? <laughs> we said, uh, you can be David Bowie. You could be anybody you want to be, but John Thackeray can certainly be David Bowie for Clive Owen. And then we brought out the white shoes and we said, um, I think he had been in a suit jacket, trousers, a shirt, a hat an overcoat at this point. Mm. And we brought out the white shoes and he said, well, I I said, what do you think about these? He said, well, give them to me. He put them on. He said, that's it. So I'm David, John Thackeray. Can I wear green velvet? No problem. (laughs) Okay. No problem. So he was a happy camper and he went off and I think that he and Steven had dinner um, very soon after, and he and Stephen said, "How did it go?" And Clive said, "I'm happy. As, I'm happy. Everything is perfect." All the characters and on that show were so amazing. Were great. They were oh my great. god, they were great characters. Yeah. And so, um, what what he said to him was, "Do you like those white shoes?" She wants <laughs> those white shoes. He said, "Don't you dare take those white shoes away from me." And subsequently. Now, this is, I didn't know this until Clive told me later. Stephen didn't really get the white shoes, nor necessarily like the white shoes. Once Clive said that to him, he went, uh-huh. Now, Marilyn, do you know that the series opens on his white shoes? Wow. <laughs> so we were very yeah. proud. At the end, we were very, well, very proud. Well, how smart is Stephen to pick up on something so great? Stephen is the smartest man in the world. He really is. He makes, when I think about Stephen, I don't have patience for pretend directors. Mm -hmm. He's He's the real deal. There is no one more the real deal than Stephen. I go on just, just. I mean, it's whether you're doing work that takes place at a different period of time or you're doing modern work with a twist or any kind of story. Mm -hmm. We went on a boat. Okay, this movie is about to come out in the fall. But we went on. He asked 
last year if I was interested in doing one of his low budget films. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll go anywhere. Um, and he said, okay, great. So we're going on the Queen Mary and we're going to sail from New York to Southampton. And we're going to shoot on the boat for the eight days. And this is roughly the story. And he tells me the story and it's going to have Merrill. We had already worked with Merrill in the laundromat. Uh, Meryl and four other actors. And that's what he told me like in April of that year, August, last August, we boarded, we shot for two days in New York. We boarded the Queen Mary. It was Meryl Streep, Candy Bergen, Diane Weiss, <laughs> Lucas Hedges and Gemma Khan. Oh my God. There is no script, no money. I'm, this is the God's truth. This, I'm not telling you any story. No money, no script. That's amazing. Just story. I've never heard Just anything story. like this. There is nothing like this. Wow. No script, no story. These brilliant actors, right? Which, because of their work characters, I fit prior or told. He said, listen, all I want you to do is go get them packed for a week on a boat and we'll do it as the scenes you know, um, come one by one by one. So did you fit them with all these outfits? Yeah. 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 Meryl, Meryl had a particular point of view, which we discussed prior and fit her prior. Um, Candy as well. Diane as well. Lucas as well. And um, Gemma as well. Everybody. And I saw everybody prior to, and we packed the suitcases. We had no money, no money. Certain things were donated, but we had zero money, zero. The picture was zero money. We shot. It was the hardest job I've ever done, ever. Mm. We shot for eight, uh, eight days plus two. And well, altogether it was 13 because we shot in, in England as well for the balance of the story, um, off of the boat. Mm-hmm. And it was extraordinary. I've never experienced anything like that. I don't think anything could ever come close to it. Wow. It was the most spontaneous, quick. It was like being on stage. It was like quick changes, quick changes, quick changes, because everything had to be. It was a cohesive story. I mean, it. Uh, No, not not when you shot it. Not not when you shot it. No, not when you shot it. And so there were it was myself and um, two uh, 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 David Page and Sabrina Kelly, who worked with me, we all were like wardrobe people mm. and ran the boat, which is enormous football fields long. Wow. And it was hard. It was hard because you had to be on the money in time. He had to get every scene done. And it was only, I think. Did he shoot was, himself? He always shoots himself. He shoots, he directs, and he edits. And so it was thrilling. It was thrilling. I mean, like thrilling, really thrilling. Um, And it was, um, 
I would say the hardest thing that I've ever done, really physically hard, but great. You know, we only have a few minutes left, but I could go on and on listening to all of this. You're amazing. And I'm... But so are you, Marilyn. You are amazing. The work that you've done. Have you had anybody interview you? Uh, not like I'm listening to you. Yeah, no. But you should because you, you know, everybody out there, Marilyn is an amazing designer. Marilyn has done some of the foremost iconic film films that you will see for from the beginning of your life we till never the end. We know though what we're getting. We just do what we no, do. No, but it, that's what it. That's what you have created. You've created history. Well, thank you. And I'm certain that everybody would love to know more about how you created history. I've been talking for for days in this pandemic, but I think somebody should interview you, Marilyn. Well, you're going to do it when you come back from England, okay? All right, I'll do it when you come back from when I come back from England. You have a date, and hopefully, then I won't well, be scared the, to go the out. The pandemic thing will be over. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the pandemic thing will be over, but I won't have be COVID shy yeah. waiting to go to England. Oh boy. And it will be, um, it'll be so I don't so blame fun. you for being very concerned about your surroundings. And I really don't. This is a very. It just, it's, it's just a crazy time yeah. right now. And I'm have to go to England in a couple of weeks that at, has to be a hundred percent secure. What can I yeah, say? No, I, I understand, and especially leaving, you know, L.A. Yeah, and then, <laughs> but it's supposedly good in in London, so I, I look forward to that. Good, but yeah. um, work should be interesting, and we have to finish the film that I started. I could go on and on, but they're not going to let us. All right, <laughs> we'll finish now. We'll finish now. And I can't wait to come back and interview you. Well, I can't wait either. And thank you so much. I love You're you. Very You're welcome. fabulous. This has been such oh, a you. great just listening to you. You're so oh, you have no, every you you're so connected to what you do, which not everybody is. And that's what makes you We have we have a good community. A lot of people are, are connected. We shouldn't forget the people that we love. No, no, and that but you're connected. connected within what you do. I mean, it's a really... That's I, no, 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 that's what I mean. Yes, I'm connected and we all do it differently. Yeah. That's, it's a, it, it's common what we do, but we all do it differently and sure. what, where our hearts lie, you know, and that's cool. But I can't wait to hear where yours is. Where well, yours. I want to hear the end of yours, too. So after that, we'll do another okay. one on you. And then we'll just keep going. <laughs> All right. That, that's fine. We could have weekly we could have weekly tea with that's, Marilyn and Ellen. I love it. No, it's perfect. Listen, thank you so much. Okay. I really... Thank you, Marilyn, for everything. And thank, thank you for this. just being you. This has been a wonderful treat for me to sit and talk to you because... All these years, we've never had a conversation. Never, never, never. I don't even think we've been in too many of the same places at, at the, the same, same time. time. Exactly, exactly. But now that's changing. So if I could do anything for you while you're away, if you need something, do not hesitate. You're very kind. Please. You're very kind. You're very kind. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye.